أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لله ما في السماوات وما في الأرض وإن تبدوا ما في أنفسكم أو تخفوه يحاسبكم به الله فيغفر لمن يشاء ويعذب من يشاء والله على كل شيء قدير آمن الرسول بما أنزل إليه من ربه والمؤمنون كل آمن بالله وملائكته وكتبه ورسله لا نفرق بين أحد من رسله وقالوا سمعنا وأطعنا غفرانك ربنا وإليك المصير لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها لها ما كسبت وعليها ما اكتسبت ربنا لا تؤاخذنا إن نسينا أو أخطأنا ربنا ولا تحمل علينا إصرا كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به واعف عنا واغفر لنا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين صدق الله العظيم إن شاء الله أبي قال أبان أحضر المفتي كمال الدين صاحب إن شاء الله he'll be speaking about overcoming haram temptations the battle within and we learned from our elders Al-Amru Fawq Al-Adab and his uh, command to me was not to introduce him. So that is why I will not be giving any bio. Not that we cannot introduce him, but he has uh, pre- prevented us from doing so. So inshallah we can learn on our own uh, who this personality is that is visiting us inshallah and benefit from his words of wisdom. Jazakallah. Alhamdulillah. 
ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان سيدنا وسندنا محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وذر ظاهر الاسم وباطنه صدق الله العظيم اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وازواجه وذرياته واصحابه اجمعين there are many definitions of fitna in our deen some definitions the ulama of tafsir made some definitions the muhaddithun ulama of hadith made some definitions the ulama of lugha or language specialists made and i'm going to add to one of those definitions of fitna tonight in other words many of the way that the ulama understood and explained fitna i feel that to be the case generally speaking in the muslim ummah as well as the muslim communities in the west but one aspect of fitna is that we have an increasing high rate of a very strange phenomenon and that is good people doing bad things good muslims doing sin it's a very strange thing because many of my early years of trying to do dawah of deen was spent trying to help people who were distant from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala far from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala maybe non-practicing believers more secularized believers for whatever reason they were distant from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to try to bring them closer to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and given that they were distant or not firm in their belief or not regularly practicing naturally they did a whole range of bad things and that was to be expected but as i grew older and as we began to visit more people i started encountering a second type of person they were not muslims who were distant from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or shaky in their belief they were not muslims who were secular in that sense because the word itself is not entirely negative rather they were muslims who believed in allah subhanahu wa ta'ala muslims who were praying regularly muslims who were fasting ramadan muslims who would come for a bayan muslims who were even sometimes studying at some level ilm knowledge of deen even muslims who were trying to even do more ibadah more zikr and more dua but they would come with me come to me with the same problem they were stuck on doing some bad things so i had a new phenomenon a good person who's doing something bad and the fact that they were coming to me and talking to me about this itself is a proof that they're a good person they were so mukhlis they wanted to leave that bad thing and i would always assume and for most of them it would likely be true that way before coming to me they must have tried to leave it it's not easy coming to a person who is pretty much a stranger even if you hear somebody speak once twice 10 times even if you've heard them 100 times on the internet they're still pretty much a stranger it's not easy to come to someone and confess to them that you have a problem that you're not able to fix and ask them for help and guidance from our deen on how to rid oneself of this temptation i know because i've also been in that position and i never found it easy to explain to my elders 
And I would imagine it would not be easy for a person to talk like that to me. Why would they do that? Why would they talk to me? It means, and then many times they would say it themselves, that I've tried to leave it. I've made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take me out of it. I've made tawbah to Allah ta'ala from it. I've cried in the plains of Arafat about it. I've gone on Umrah to cure myself of it. I've made du'as to Allah Ta'ala in Ramadan to leave it. I made promises to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala when I sat in Sunnah Itikaf to stop doing it. But I'm still stuck in it. And so now I'm coming to you. And from my perspective, when somebody tells me they've already done, okay, maybe not all of those things, but many of those things, I think to myself, what can I do for such a person? I'm not greater than Arafat and Hajj. I'm not greater than du'as they made in Itikaf. I'm not greater than the tears they have already shed on this matter. And then it amazes me. How is it possible that this person is still stuck in this thing? So this is something that needs to be analyzed. This is something that needs to be understood. And to whatever extent that I've been able to understand it, it is something that needs to be explained and shared with you tonight. Why do bad people why do good people keep doing bad things? Why do good believers still sin? Why do people who love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still sin? Hmm? Let me explain to you one of my good people. I will say it, even if the person doubts himself, maybe I don't really love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I would say, no, that person loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, he loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is he fearless? He doesn't fear. No, he's afraid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why do you think he's coming and talking to me? He's afraid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What, does he not love Nabi Akrim sallallahu alayhi wa He loves Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi So then why? Why? How can he still keep on sinning? Allah hmm? Akbar It's not every sin. It's not all the sin. It's certain one, two, three things that they just can't stop doing. For some people it might be something relatively minor, but for most people this last one or two sin you can imagine is relatively major. Hmm? Still you were to ask me, I would say they majorly love Allah SWT. They majorly love Nabi Akrim Wasallam, but they are majorly stuck in this temptation or addiction of some particular sin. So the answer is called nafs. Answer is called nafs. nafs This nafs is a very strange, powerful element of our aspect of creation because it is a creature of extremes. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swore so many qasam in Surah Al-Shams and finally ended by saying وَنَفْسِ وَمَا سَوَّاهَا فَأَلْهَمَاهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا Fujur and Taqwa these are the extremes extreme Fujur means open sin unrepentant sin unabashed sin repeated sin addiction affliction that's called Fujur and mashallah all of you know what Taqwa is hmm? Taqwa is purity piety virtue humility sincerity Allah Akbar Taqwa is the dream Inna akramakum indallahi atkakum Allah Ta'ala says in Quran That those of you who are most honored In Allah Ta'ala's regard How Allah Ta'ala's view you How does Allah Ta'ala love you hmm? Is the one who has atka Most taqwa Allah Akbar Kabira 
That also shows, by the way, that there is a positive aspect to the nafs. Hmm? Allah Ta'ala placed its fujur in it and its taqwa in it. Hmm? Allah Akbar. Some of the mashayikh of tafsir, they understood this to mean, just to explain this, so that when a person strives in deen, this is called mujahadatun nafs. Maybe they pray half the night. There were people like this in the ummah, and few still perhaps. They pray half the night, pray one third of the night. That was the striving of their nafs. Now let me show you a recent example. In Ramadan, any one of us who in any even one night prayed Salatul Tarawih and we stood for one to one and a half hours, what was that? That was our mujahada, that was our striving. And do you know what? That was the striving of our nafs. Yes? Allahu Akbar. That was a noble act, a noble desire of the nafs. If there's somebody, and sometimes we meet people like that, that maybe at a mature age, later on in life, 30s, 40s, etc., they want to become hafiz of Qur'an, and their memory isn't so sharp anymore, or their brain is not as soft, so to speak, as a young person's is, but they make that effort and they learn Qur'an and they have that discipline. Discipline and hard work and effort, what is that? That's a mujahada of their nafs, that's the nobility and purity of their nafs. So whenever you strive in deen, whenever you struggle and strive and attain and achieve and accomplish in deen, especially when it requires struggle and hard work and effort, that is the good aspect of the nafs. So what does it mean then? When you understand that, then the fujur also means that when a good person does a bad thing, they have to work at it. It doesn't just happen. We have to be a bit more stern on ourselves. It doesn't just happen that I'm a good believer, I go for Umrah, I pray Salah, I pray Jummah, and I just end up in this sin. No, 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 no. It's your nafs. Nafs means it does it with effort. It's like premeditated sin, deliberate sin. That's the type of sin that a good person ends up in. But then that's even more shocking, right? So if a good believer does the sin accidentally, forgetfully, a good believer once every now and then rarely oversleeps on Fajr and feels really sad afterward. That's accidental, that's ignorant. No, no, the sin of the nafs is not like that. The sin of the nafs is deliberate, premeditated, conscious, well-planned, systematic, repeated. So you will notice in criminal law, that's more of a crime. They talk about involuntary manslaughter, and they talk about premeditated murder. So premeditated murder, that's homicide one, right? That's a much greater level of crime. That's the level of criminality of the nafs. It engages the good believer in premeditated, deliberate sin. Allah Akbar Kabira. This is why Nabi Yusuf salam, he said, Nabi Yusuf salam, said this, Allah Ta'ala preserved this kalam in Qur'an. And when did Nabi Yusuf say this? All of you know, because there was a temptation. Now, ulama of Tasir have different positions on this. I personally prefer that position, that he was not tempted. There's a lot of discussion that goes on in the language of those verses in Surah Yusuf, and the words, and the context, and what exactly it means, and the broader aqidah, the view and belief in our creed, that all of the Anbiya, are masum. So my own position is, I follow the, rather, I follow the position of those Mufassirun who view that Nabi Yusuf was not tempted at all, but rather he was saying, making a statement, that indeed the nafs would even command a person to do sin, even in such a situation like this, and he's a Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now can you imagine 
that that is the level of nafs and that is what we have inside us. Inside us. It's not a TV you can turn off. It's not something you can disconnect yourself from. Inside us, in our batin, is our nafs. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Now in our deen, there is kamil, there's perfect and complete hidayah and guidance. Allah Ta'ala has outlined, laid out in detail and in principle in the Quran and Sunnah a way for a person to be safe against the nafs. Anytime and every time, listen to me carefully, anytime and every time, anyone and everyone who tries to shortcut, violate, disregard those guidelines, guidance and guidelines, they will fall prey to their nafs, no exceptions allowed. No exceptions allowed. So let me begin now, this is the first thing. The first point one is that many people are in some type of delusion where they think they're above and beyond being tempted by their nafs. No way. No way. Our Mashaikh they say, Ke jis nafs par Allah Ta'ala ne ne hai, aap khud kaise us nafs par karte Don't worry, if I say anything in Urdu, I will have either already said it in English many times, or I will translate it in English afterwards. In 2004, I gave Bayan in Chicago last time, and, but I'm not including Juma today, and I said one line in Urdu, and one young man, he said to me, no habla espanol, during bian. Allah Akbar Kabira. So they say that how can you have faith and trust that nafs which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself has not trusted? Allah Akbar. So let's look at some things. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught us in Quran, lower the gaze. Do not look. If a person says, no, I'm a doctor, I can look, she's a nurse, no problem. I'm a professor, I can look, she's a student, no problem. I'm a shop owner, she's a customer, I can look, no problem. Problem. Now, yes, you may not end up in the big problem, but to think you will escape even the slightest of problems, to think that you are perfectly immune is actually a great mistake and to think that you are above and beyond the teaching of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Quran al-Kareem is wrong yes you might say that okay I have no choice I live in a society where there's you know free gender interaction everywhere yes you can say that it's practically speaking inescapable to do but you can't say no problem whatsoever you can't say that you have to accept that this will now create a temptation for my nafs any and every time irrespective of the society the culture the context the reason the justification the explanation the benefit it will open the door to your nafs doesn't mean every time something will happen it doesn't mean every time you'll fall prey to that temptation it doesn't mean every time you will feel lustful desire but it definitely means every time the door is open to your nafs and then it's just a matter of statistics. Yes. The number of times, it's like they call laws of probability. The number of times you keep on opening the door for your nafs is just a matter of time. When do you will fall through the trap door yourself? No one can escape this. 
So this is an example from Quran Karim. Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he said in the hadith that a rare mahram man and a rare mahram woman can never be alone in what's called khalwa. Khalwa means to be alone in seclusion, such as to be alone in a room with the door closed, such as to be alone in the room with the door closed. That is called khalwa. That is level of seclusion, privacy, privacy. Other than, to go back to these, other than that shaitan will be a third in them. No matter what, no exceptions allowed. Shaitan will always be the third. Now again, I understand this, that it's bound to happen when living in this country. I understand that. But you should also understand that shaitan is bound to be the third person. Your explanation, your justification, your necessity, your job, your function cannot change this reality because this is a reality that Sayyidina Rasulullah taught us. Quran and Sunnah is the eternal, timeless truth, is unchanging, unflinching reality, irrespective of any and all culture, society, context. Now, if a person has both of these things going on, then you just imagine. Hmm? Hmm? It's like when you lay traps for someone. So nafs is laying so many traps, shaitan is laying so many traps, and you are walking through the field that in which the traps are laid, but you don't think you're going to get caught in one of those traps? Hmm? Going to happen. Going to happen. So one reason why we can't, and even to be fair, uh, I was sent a list of topics, right? Some of them, Allah Akbar, I've never been able to do in my life. I won't say what those were. So this one reminded me, last time I gave Bihar in Chicago, 2004, I said, SubhanAllah, same, similar topic. Hmm? The, the, the battle within, Allah Akbar Kabira. Hmm? That's nafs. Hmm? That's nafs. Nafs and shaitan, nafs and shaitan, nafs and shaitan. Shaitan never gives up, you know that? There are two beings who never give up on you. Allah Ta'ala never gives up on you and shaitan never gives up on you. Some say your mom is the third one, that your mother will never give up on you. Mother is 99.99% <laughs> and Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and shaitan 100%. But no, I'll tell you Jeep, we're gonna come later but I'll tell you now, that person who gives up on their nafs, Allah Ta'ala makes shaitan give up on them. That's the meaning, la khawfun alayhim wa yahzunun. Allah tells us, Shaitan in Quran, there will be some of my ibad, that you will have no sultan, you will have no warrant, no authority upon them. <laughs> that he doesn't give up, he, Allah Ta'ala makes him give up. Allahu Akbar Kabira. Hmm? But nafs, nafs never gives up. Never, never. <laughs> you claim you have nafs matmanna, it doesn't give up. You say, I didn't do sin for 40 years, nafs doesn't give up. Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, La tuzakku anfusakum. Never ever think you have 100% purified your nafs. Allah Ta'ala, He, He, Allah, He knows best who has real taqwa. You can never view yourself as muttaqi. No matter how many others may view you as how muttaqi. The day you view yourself as muttaqi, you fall right back into the lap of nafs. Ajib. person worked so many years to become muttaqi, but then started viewing himself as muttaqi, then he went right back into their nafs. It's a strange thing, this nafs. Strange thing, this nafs. So the first thing is to come out of this deception and delusion that it's okay because A, B, C, D, E, F, G. 
Hmm? No. You might end up doing it because you might not be able to avoid it because but it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it okay. You tell me. Don't literally tell me. But you think. You imagine me. Okay, imagine how many cases do you think I have of up there how many, because not of Chicago, I'm not talking about Chicago land at all, okay? How many cases do you think I have of doctors who betrayed their wives due to nurse or secretary? How many do you think I have? Hmm? How many married men have betrayed their wife? Hmm? What do you think? How did it start? How did they know that first? How did they first get to meet that person? with whom they betrayed their spouse. Where do you think it started? It didn't start immediately in some crude, lewd situation. It started in this khalwa. It started in this, they looked, or they noticed their personality. The gaze isn't always just about the appearance. Sometimes they notice the personality of someone else. That's another type of hijab altogether. There's an emotional hijab. Allah Akbar. You think these things come out of nowhere? I told you nafs. Slow, steady, premeditated, deliberate, thoughtful, conscious, step-by-step sin. That's called nafs. Yes, shaitan sometimes has this sudden attack. That's shaitan. Nafs not like that. Nafs buys its time. <laughs> yeah, alhamdulillah. Nafs sitting, watching. How you keep talking, keep chatting, have a couple of messages, have a couple of smiles. Hmm? Hmm. Now, Again, go back to I said, good people do bad things. I'm talking to you about men who truly love their wives. I'm not talking about, that's not an excuse though, but I'm not even necessarily talking about men who are unhappily married. That's no excuse to do something haram. I'm talking about people who genuinely are happily married. Still fall into temptation. Why? Because they open too many trap doors in their heart and in their life to their nafs. Now you want me to show you a real delusion? They're so deluded, they get even deluded by the fact that they are happily married. So they tell themselves this in their darkest of places in their heart. That, well, I do love my wife. It's like I don't like her. And I'm being well to her, and I'm treating her well, and I'm giving her everything she wants, and I'm providing for all her needs. Hmm? So they think it's okay. <laughs> ajeeb, the psychology of the nafs is ajeeb. Trying to get good people to do bad things and not even view those things to be bad. Nafs. The only time it happens when the bubble is burst and the person is caught. And that, that, that's, that's also, it's not the best way, but that is also a way to make toba. That's some way Allah Ta'ala guides a person. Sometimes Allah Subhanahu guides a person to make toba. By pulling the plug on them. This is called Allah Ta'ala's sattariyat. Allah Ta'ala is one of his attributes. He's as-sattar. Means he veils and conceals the sins of others. This is another way. Sometimes to help a person control their own temptation is to think at this moment or throughout their life how many sins Allah Ta'ala has veiled for them. Let me show you. There's a lot. First type of sin that Allah Ta'ala does not let other people see is that sin that we do secretly, privately, right? So there are things people don't know. You have no idea what I do in my private life. 
I have no idea about any people that I know what they do in their private life. Allah Ta'ala has veiled our private lives from others. Most of us, if everyone could see all of our private life and affairs, most of us would find one another despicable. Despicable, outright despicable. Hmm? Once a shaykh, he said, what's the def he was asked, what is the definition of ikhlas? He said, ikhlas is that all your private personal matters were they to be revealed and displayed on a platter. And that platter to be presented in front of the public, you would have nothing, no worry and nothing to be ashamed about. And guess what's going to happen on the Day of Judgment? <laughs> Not just the public in front of Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, in front of Sahabai Ikram radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in, in front of Ummahat al-Mu'mineen. Kaun sa beta apna maa ke saamne sharminda hona chata hai? What son could ever endure being exposed in front of his biological mother? What mu'min will be able to withstand their sins on display in Day of Judgment in front of their spiritual mother? Azwaj Mutaharat, the most noble, virtuous, pious women ever to walk the face of this earth after Sayyidah Maryam radiallahu anha. Can you imagine? If you can imagine the shame you would feel in front of Ummu Mu'mineen Sayyida Aisha radiyatana anha whose chastity Allah subhanahu declared in Quran al-Kareem how could we feel if our lack of chastity is shown in front of her on the Day of Judgment hmm? there's many ways to think about this that they're Ummahat al-Mu'mineen it's also a great blessing from Allah subhanahu that in our deen they, some of the noble wives of the Prophet are called mothers of believers and the best thing about this is the husband of your mother is your father. Hmm? So if the if they are mothers of believers, then that means Sayyidina Rasulullah in addition to being our Nabi is the spiritual father of the believers. Hmm? So Allah Subhanahu is Sattar. Number one, that he conceals our private sins from others. But there's more. Second, Sometimes a person can be sitting with others Amongst others, not alone Amongst others And in that moment they have a sinful feeling And Allah Ta'ala conceals that You're not able to see that in that person You might be sitting with someone And he's feeling envy or jealousy towards you Allah Ta'ala has veiled it from you So that you can stay friends Yeah, Allah Akbar Kabira It's only Allah Ta'ala being a sitar You might be sitting with some family members or good people and you may be feeling some unlawful feeling for some Khair Mahram who is also present at that gathering or on that bus or on that train or on that plane Allah Ta'ala veils it there's another way Allah Ta'ala sattar third way Allah Ta'ala is a sattar ajeeb that Allah Ta'ala even veils our apparent sin outward sin that we do in front of people we actually do that sin in front of people they actually notice it but they don't take note of it as an example, if you're a father and you're trying to raise your children on deen and you're trying to invite your children to salah and you're trying to tell them the importance of praying and then what happens one fine morning you yourself happen to miss your salah and your own children see that they see it so what should happen? you should lose all respect in front of them hmm? and let's say you're alim or sheikh or mufti you should be finished, right? Allah ta'ala is a sitar he still makes your children look at you with respect. Your own children, they see you arguing 
with their mother. They see you get worked up. They see you become angry. They see it. It's not veiled physically from them. They see it. They hear it. You should fall and, and you should be disgraced in front of them. But no, Allah Ta'ala sattar He makes them love you anyway. He makes them keep on loving you. This is also Allah Ta'ala's attribute of being a sattar. That people notice things, but they don't take note of it. This happens a lot, by the way. This also happens a lot. I give you two, three examples. Now you can think, how many times this has happened in my life? You work at a place, you slacked off, you didn't meet the deadline purely because you're a slacker. The boss has an idea, it's okay. Hmm? You don't fall from his favor. What was that? Allah Ta'ala was a sattar. Hmm? He was veiling and concealing your shortcomings. Allah Ta'ala covers up for you. He covers you and he covers up for you. Sajib, Allah Ta'ala is being of sattar. That also happens. He cleans up your mess. Sometimes <laughs> he hides your mess. Sometimes he cleans up your mess. Allah Akbar. Hmm? So with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being a sattar, to still be tempted to disobey him, how disgraceful is that? Hmm? If you had a friend, hmm? and you're always there for that friend, you always cover up for that friend, you always cover for your friend, and one day he disobeys you, betrays you, you would say, what's the matter with you? You're the one who I've helped so much. You're the one who I guided so much. You're the one I always covered for you. And you betrayed me? Hmm? Look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ajeeb. He's al-Sattar, he's al-Rahman, he's al-Rahim, he's al-Ghafoor, he's al-Ghaffar, he's al-Hanan, he's al-Mannan. Allah Akbar. But it's a fitna. Hmm? Nafs is our own personal little fitna. Now most of us, here tonight can't do very much about the fitness that are out there. There are a lot, a lot of fitness out there in the Ummah. The question is how many of us here tonight can do about this fitna of nafs that is inside ourselves? And the reality is that ultimately only you can do that. Your shaykh can't do it for you, an alam can't do it for you, the imam can't do it for you. You have to do 99% of it yourself. Hmm? You know, Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to make dua. The Prophet sallallahu used to make this dua. Rabbi a'ti nafsi taqwaha. Rabbi a'ti nafsi taqwaha. That Allah ta'ala grant my nafs its taqwa. Going back to the words of Quran. Fa'alhamma fujura wa taqwaha. Allah ta'ala grant my nafs its taqwa. Wa zakkiha. And do tazkiya. Purify my nafs. Anta khairu man zakkaha. That Allah, you are the best of those who can do tazkiya of my nafs. Anta waliyuha wa mawlaha Or you are the wali of my nafs Allah Akbar You are the wali of my nafs You are the benefactor The guardian The friend The caretaker of my nafs Wa mawlaha And you are the master of my nafs Now just imagine Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Used to make this dua In the riwayat of the Muslim Imam Ahmad Ummul Mu'mineen Sayyidina Aisha Narrates that the Prophet Used to make this dua When in sujood and tajjud Ya Allah very simple. The Prophet's du'as were very simple, very direct. Sometimes people, some people, maybe not the people who are here tonight, but some people, they become too Sufi for their own good. They think that Nabiya Kareem, Sallallahu and Tanjud and Sujood must have made some huge marfat du'as. Look at the du'a that the Prophet was making. That, oh my Rabb, grant my nafs its taqwa. Purify my nafs. You are the best one. Who can purify? This is nafi of the shaykh actually. Anta, anta ya Allah, khairu man zakkaha. You are the best who can do tazkiyah of my nafs. 
You are the valley of my nafs, the mole of my nafs. Hmm? How many of us make that dua? You know when these good people who do bad things come to me? I ask them, have you tried this dua? I said, no. There are things there in our deen. And you haven't tried them yet. Or some person views himself as a Sadiq, Sufi, Zakir, Murid. And he's saying, oh, Shaykh, I'm struggling in my tazkiyah. He said, have you made this dua? He says, what dua? And this dua? Which dua? Dua of the Prophet Where is that mentioned? So you don't even know that much. You don't even know the du'as that your own Prophet made about Tazkiyah and you view yourself as a student of Tazkiyah or Shabash. Hmm? Now why was the Prophet himself making that du'a? So standard answer from the Muhajjateen is he was making that du'a taliman so that we would learn to make that du'a. That is correct and we need to learn that. I would go one step further. And obviously the Prophet ﷺ did not have any sin But he was so humble He was so humble Because if you think about that hadith Now think of the context He doesn't know that Ummul Mu'minisa is listening to him in sujood He's fanafillah in sujood He's not aware of who's around him Or who may be listening to him So it's really hard to say that he was making this dua talima He was making this dua because he truly felt like that He truly wanted, he wanted more More tazkiyah, more taqwa, more purity so he made this du'a. Very simple du'as. Very simple du'as. I'm mentioning this because some people get stuck in their temptations because they've lost the simplicity that isn't deen. There's another reason. It happens to educated people. happens to wealthy, affluent people. They lose that zuhud, that simplicity. And the simplicity of the sunnah. Don't just think it's coincidental. Nothing about Sayyidina Rasulullah is a coincidence. Nothing is due to 6th century, 7th century Arabia. No, no, no. Everything about the Prophet was designed by Allah subhanahu Selected by Allah subhanahu His name, Al-Mustafa, means he was chosen by Allah subhanahu His companion, Sahaba chosen by Allah subhanahu His century, chosen by Allah subhanahu His language, culture, context, chosen by Allah subhanahu all of it is part of his nabuwa. All of it is part of his prophethood. So yes, you may not literally be living a life as simple as his. If you go to Medina Manawar now, there's a museum where they've made a model of his hudra. I'm not suggesting that you, any one of us will live in that same small ajib though if you imagine it. Hmm? I think somebody should make a life-size replication of that and have a walkthrough. And you actually stand and this was the house of the Prophet and stand there and think Think, when you're standing there, then think. Which of your houses is closer to this house? The three, four, five bedroom house you have in the suburbs of Chicago or the house that's going to be in the Qabristan and the cemetery that is also pretty much just, is a little bit smaller than the house that Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu had. Hmm? You have to have simplicity. The more complex, the more rich, the more luxurious your life is, the more temptations will exist. It's just natural. It's guaranteed. There'll be more temptation. I knew one sheikh, he tells his students, don't travel unless you absolutely have to. Said, Why? Because said, just traveling makes your life more complex and you need to be more simple. Allahu Akbar, Ajib. Now somebody who travels, I see that. 
Because when you travel, sometimes there are, you know, times you do amal and ruksa, or there's some lack of etiyat, there's a certain discipline that you can try to have when you're at home, and you're not able to do that when traveling. And many of us, we have that discipline, not because we're superhumans, but because we're really weak, and without that discipline, we'll fail. And then when you start traveling, you don't have the discipline, you start failing. <laughs> yeah. There are many people like that. Hmm? But what I was trying to show you was a level of consciousness, a level of awareness. When do I slip? When do I fall? What's my weakness? And I've had men come to me who are, what is it called? Uh, road warrior. Huh? I mean, they travel a lot for their corporate or some other professional work. Hmm? And they slip. This one, they slip. They say, I don't pray, I, I never miss Fajr at home, but I miss it sometimes when I'm on the road. So try to be on the road less. Accept this, accept your weaknesses. Embrace your weaknesses, literally. Embrace it. Don't think you're not superhuman. None of us are superhuman. If you be able to identify that about yourself, that this is when you miss it, there's causation. Not just correlation, there's causation. Then accept that. Try to travel less. You're weak. You say, oh, but you know, if I travel less, you know, I won't be the main man and I won't make partner. That's fine. No problem. You weren't sent to this world to make partner, to be the super manager, to be the CEO. You're perfectly welcome to be partner, manager, CEO, if you can do that without compromising your deen. Bismillah. But if you're saying that your deen gets a little compromised, your deen takes a little bit of a hit, you end up in some level of temptation, you fall into some aspect of sin, you have to give it up. That's one aspect of simplicity. Here, one re so two ways to understand the simplicity of Nabi Karim Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. One is to look at his simple life, and second, I've shown you to look at the simplicity of his du'as. I mean, look in Ramadan, in Laylatul Qadr, although you should remember this, what was the du'a? So, Ummu Mu'mineen Sayyidah Aisha ta'ala, asked the Prophet وسلم, that Ya Rasulullah if I happen to find little together or if I happen to make dua little together what dua should I make? It's a cheap question. Allah Ta'ala reward her for that desire to know right, and to ask. Now what dua did the Prophet teach her? Hmm? Allahumma innaka afuun tuhibul afwa fafuanni But that's it. Simple. Allah Ta'ala, you are the being who pardons. You love to pardon, therefore pardon me. That's it. Simple. Hmm? Simple. One shaykh, he said a beautiful thing. He said, you shouldn't only make this dua on the together or the odd nights. You should keep making this dua. <laughs> you should make this dua other than Ramadan. And if you, and it may not be, like you could make this dua tonight, right? It may not be, it definitely is not, Laylatul Qadr tonight, right? Except like one of the very extreme call that it could sometimes be outside Ramadan, right? But otherwise, it's not, that's not an accepted call, right? So it's not Laylatul Qadr tonight. But you could make the same dua with the same feeling that you did on Laylatul Qadr. You can do that tonight because you're the same person you were on the 27th or 25th of Ramadan. Hmm? Or no? Simple dua, simple living. That's another way to escape these temptations. Another way for you to understand. One alam of tafsir, he said an interesting thing. He said, if you look at the history of the early Anbiya, 
they had two types of believers. One were the Siddiqeen, Sadiqeen, their true followers, and one were the Munafiqeen, their hypocritical followers. And if any of you are familiar with Surah Baqarah, you will see that about the two types of believers of Nabi Musa. Similar about the two types of followers of Nabi Isa. And then he said, for the Prophet, there's a third type of believer. So one is the Siddiqeen, Sadiqeen, Muttaqeen, Mu'mineen. They will also be the Nusummah. One of the Munafiqeen. So there were some even in Medina Manawra. Right? And third type are the Mudhanibin, the sinning believers. Ajeeb, what did he mean? He meant that when Musa is when the believers were actually the true believers, they didn't sin. But this Ummah will have sinning believers. And therefore, that's why that for this Ummah, Allah subhanahu has placed the most of his mercy and forgiveness for this Ummah. So that those who do believe, but yet are in sin, remember what I said, the good people who do bad things, they can still find a way to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the third way to come out of one's temptation, is to turn to Allah ta'ala's mercy and forgiveness. It may not work the first time. You might say, oh, I cried over this sin. Maybe Allah Ta'ala has written that your escape and exit from this sin will be once you shed 1,000 tears. You've said 100 so far. Keep crying. You say, I already made Hajj. Maybe your escape is Hajj plus A, B, C, D. Keep trying. Maybe you say, I started Nafil fasting. Maybe you have to do more. Keep trying. There are very few things that a person is addicted to, whether it be cigarettes or it be alcohol or it be internet or it be video games or whatever it is that you can instantly leave. And sin is the most addictive thing in this world after Ibadat. That's the fourth point. <laughs> and if you want to lose one addiction, you better find a way to f get hooked on the highest addiction. It's an electric training. It's a different training. Hmm? If you get so hooked and so addicted to ibadat, zikr, tilawat, the Quran, du'a, tasbih, istighfar, salawat, dhurr, sharif, then you will lose the addiction for sin. Yes. Because the sin negatively affects your ibadah and you will start seeing that. You will see a person can sin and pray the fard salah. There's no way he's sinning and getting up for tajjud. Can't happen. Can't happen. The person can sin and still pray their Fard Salah. They can't sin and then go ahead and read one, two juz of Quran. It doesn't happen like that. When you sin, it numbs your ability to do extra ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you're trying to do extra ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will notice more the effect of sin in numbing your ability to do that ibadah. When you have a craze, passion, or even an addiction to that ibadah, you will be willing to leave anything and everything that comes between you and your addiction. You will once and for all finally leave sin because it's too much getting in the way of your ibadah that you're addicted to. It's another way. Long process, but that's, that's a long process. That's also not some instant thing. But it's a wonderful thing to do anyway, actually. For it is a good in of itself. There's like a side benefit of becoming addicted to ibadah and zikr. But still, don't get me wrong, still, the nafs is always there. You can become addicted to ibadah. You can lose the addiction to sin. You can have taqwa, 
But again, if you violate the rules of Sunnah and Sharia, you will again lay the trapdoors for yourself and you will again get caught in the trap. Some people end up on that cycle. A lot of people. Is it chakra cartering? They're just constantly in this cycle. Toba, taqwa. Toba, taqwa. You need Toba, taqwa, return to sin. Toba again, ad- adopt taqwa, again return to sin. And they're just constantly on this cycle. You want to break that cycle? You should want to break that cycle. You know what I was telling those of you here today in Juma? I started on that briefly. And that is about excellence. When it comes to dunya, a person will never accept this in themselves. Let's say succeed and then they fail. And they succeed and then they fail. They don't accept that. They keep trying, they keep striving. They will do anything to break the cycle of failure. They will do anything and everything to break the cycle of failure. Not to pick on medical students, but this is my old thing I used to do in Chicago. Hmm? And also in Pakistanis, if they fail the USMLE once, they try a second time. And we had some students of ours, I had some students who took my course three times. Three times. Hmm? Allah Akbar. Because they get an F, they try again, they get an F, they try again, they fail, they try the exam again, they reset, they reset. And that's a good thing. They don't tolerate failure. They want to break the cycle. Break the cycle. There are people who do their, what is it, driving exam. Four, five, six, seven times. Hmm? Allah Akbar. Until they pass, they keep doing it until they succeed. That's an attitude many people have about their dunya. That's the same attitude you should have about your deen. Another temptation that people have, which is a financial temptation. Another major temptation. Don't think nafs is only lust for ghaymaram. That's not true. Nafs is many, many things. Lust for ghaymaram is one aspect of nafs. Another aspect of nafs is lust for material wealth. Greed is a lust for money. It's also a type of lust, a type of shahwa. Hmm? And because of that, they will do weird things. They will go for haram, interest-based financing. They will maybe tell some lie or undermine or undercut someone for promotion for some amount of financial gain. They will cheat a little bit in their business. They will underreport their income. They will do all types of things just to get extra money. Hmm? And what if they will be, what if they will lose on their ibadat or their deen or their amal or their ikhlas or their kubuliya from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a punishment for the lust for extra money? Hmm? There's another temptation some people they just can't stay away from. Hmm? They can't stay away from. So one cure for that is sugar. The more grateful we are for what Allah SWT has already given us, the less greed we will have for that which He has not yet given us. And the less grateful we are for what He has given us, the more greed we will have for what He has not given us. And if you ask me, for the person who is married, shukr is also the cure for this, for the infidelity. If you're more grateful and appreciative of the wife Allah Ta'ala has given you, you will be less desirous for the women Allah Ta'ala has not given you in nikah. And if you're less grateful and less appreciative of the woman Allah Ta'ala has placed in your nikah, you will be more desirous and more tempted of the women Allah Ta'ala has not placed in your nikah. Let me tell you another thing about shukr. 
Shukr isn't only to be thankful to Allah Ta'ala for what you have. Shukr can also be to be thankful to Allah Ta'ala for what He has given someone else. For example, let's say you're in Malana or Mai's position and you have children who are young and you're wondering how they're going to turn out because you know children of ulama aren't always turning out well. It's like a rebellion that goes on, right? But maybe one day you happen to meet some other alim who's older than you and he happens to have a son or daughter who's 16, 17, 18, 20 years old and you come to know to the best of your ability that that son or daughter is pious. You should do shukr to Allah Ta'ala. That Allah Ta'ala, I make shukr to you that you bless this person with a pious child. I make shukr to you. It's not my blessing. I make shukr to you Allah Ta'ala for the blessing you gave them. This is a big thing that we have lost in Allah. To make shukr to Allah Ta'ala for the blessings that Allah Ta'ala gave others. And maybe if you truly appreciate that, you will actually, Allah Ta'ala may give us that blessing as well, inshallah. Hmm? I can tell you recently, Darlam Blackburn, which is a wonderful institute in England, had its annual, uh, you can say in English, convocation, right? Gathering. And there was a young man, young, young boy, who recited Quran in the beginning. Allahu Akbar. I don't know, something happened to me when he was reciting Quran. It wasn't just beautiful recitation, that it was, no doubt, Husn it was beautiful recitation. And maybe it was just my own feeling, but I felt that he was reciting with a lot of love. There was something different in his recitation. And I started crying. And I started doing shukr to Allah Ta'ala. I didn't know who that person's father was. I didn't know anything about I still don't know his name. I will look him up when I go back, inshallah. Right? But uh, he was reciting with so much love and so much feeling and so much sincerity and so much composure. But if he was reciting, our, we have a saying in Urdu that he was reciting Quran and verse after verse was coming the way the waves lap the shores of the beach. Hmm? It was like that type of recitation. Jeep, I haven't heard a recitation like that after many years. I heard my Ustaz Ma'ashur recite Quran and then I heard this kid recite Quran. Allahu hmm? Akbar. I don't know, something happened to my heart. I started making a lot of dua for that kid and his father and his mother. I don't even know they are. Hmm? You have to ha do that much shukr. You have to do shukr for the bounties and blessings that Allah Ta'ala has given other people. As opposed to having greed for what Allah Ta'ala has given other people. That's called envy. As opposed to desiring what Allah Ta'ala has given others. Be happy. Hmm? You really, you will, you will feel happiness in your heart and you will be more happy in your life when you're able to practice a type of shukr. So here, this is a cure for the temptation of greed. To do more shukr, to be more qadardan, we say, to be more appreciative and to honor and value the bounties and blessings that Allah subhanahu ta'ala has given a person. Next thing in overcoming temptation is you must disconnect yourself from the gatherings of temptation, from the memories of temptation, from the places of temptation, from the people of temptation, from the technology of temptation, from the photos of temptation, from the chat histories of temptation, from the old messages and emails of temptation, whatever it is, you have to sever yourself. Disconnect yourself entirely from those things. Because again, except you're weak, you're not strong enough to remain connected or to be present in that place and not be tempted. You have to disconnect from the tazkira, from the mention of those things. 
from the memory of those things. You have to disconnect entirely. And a lot of people, the greatest difficulty they have is the temptations that they feel when they're alone. This may be the last thing I want to talk to you about tonight. The temptations they feel when they're alone. Hmm? And it's a strange thing. Because actually what's supposed to happen in our deen, it doesn't happen, but what's, illa mashallah, but what's supposed to happen when you're alone, you're supposed to remember Allah Ta'ala even more because you're done with the world. When you're faragna, when you're done from work, from family duties, when you're done and you're now free, that now you should heart should naturally turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in ragba, in longing and in yearning. And this is one of the big fitness of the time. That due to technology, shaitan has found so many ways to trigger an insight enough to do sin when we are alone. Too many ways of being ghafil when we're alone and too many ways of sinning when we're alone. Too many ways. You know, it used to be that when you were alone, even this much, let me tell you, it used to be when you were free, when you were father, when you were free and you were alone, you would have time to think and reflect. Hmm? One of my old friends is here. I remember that internet, we got internet when we were sophomores or juniors, right? Hello. I, sort of, I lived through the internet revolution. I didn't have this, I had no internet. Woo! All right? And from what I remember, it was either my second or third year here at University of Chicago, right? But it's gone much beyond that. And you people have Twitter. Actually, that's like 10 years old. I don't know what you people have now. But I can give you the example okay, of Twitter. Okay, so... Um, right? So Twitter is what? Twitter is how ghafil can you be in 150 be characters or less. That's what Twitter ah! is. Twitter is Michael ah! Hitler. Twitter is that you have too many free. Be talking Maybe about you remember Allah on your heart. Does Maybe anyone have any questions? No, no. Twitter is you've got Whoa, free, what? give it to the dunya. you got Al one minute free, give it to the dunya. <laughs> That's what happens to people on their cell phone. It's all, you know, everybody says this to you. It's become like a joke. People are always scrolling their phone, looking at their phone, talking to you, looking at the phone. Hmm? I'll give you an example. So somebody comes to the masjid. I've seen this so many times. Somebody comes to the masjid. They thought that, oh, Asr was at 6.30. It turns out that Asr Jamaat time just changed and it's 6.45. So what do they do? You would think what they should do is they should come in and maybe for the first time after 10 years, they should spend 15 minutes in the masjid before Afar Salah. No. I can't come in. They walk out. You don't understand the adab of the masjid. You don't walk out on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They walk out. They take out their phone. They see if there are any new messages. There's no new message. They read their old ones. They read their old ones. Yes, they read their old ones. They call someone. They check the news. They wait and see. And they say, and I'll tell you, and they come back at 6.45 sharp. Hmm? What is that? Hmm? Is it really that difficult to do 15 minutes of dhikr, ibadah, tilawat, something? Even just sit in the masjid, you know that? Even if you just sit in the masjid for 15 minutes, you just soak, it's like spiritual sunbathing. You just soak the nur that Allah is sending in the masjid. Remember your sunnah dua that you make when you enter the masjid? It happens. 
You get the fuzzle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You get the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You get the karma of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hmm? Searching for ghaflat, fleeing towards ghaflat. Fleeing towards ghaflat. Sometimes people, they can't stay back. I'm not talking about those times when you have a meeting to go to. I'm not talking about those times you have to go back to work. I'm not talking about something in your family gathering. I'm talking about those times when you come to the masjid and immediately after that salah, there's actually absolutely nothing you have to do immediately. And many times like that, maybe it's a Sunday door. It should be the case that in your book of deeds, I should be able to tell what is Saturday or Sunday without it being written. Because I should see that, okay, every week, apparently two days, this person's about the spikes. So it must be Sunday. Whoa, look at those 10 days. It must have been a summer break. Nice Sunday students. That's not what happens. Well, that must be winter break. This is about that spiked. Well, look at those two months. It must be summer vacation. Hmm? When you are free, turn to Allah. When you are free, you don't turn to Allah Ta'ala. Oftentimes you will begin the road towards temptation. First step is ghafla. Sound like a good person doesn't go straight to sin. First step is something called ghafla. Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, listen to Quran al-Kareem. وَلَا تَكُمْ مِنَ الْغَافِلِينَ Don't you ever let yourself become from those people who are heedless of Allah. Allah is commanding us not to do ghafla. Now that's a separate thing. The ghafla may not technically be sin. It's something Allah doesn't want me to do. Why? Because this is his hidayah. He knows when you forget, you will fall. When you forget, you will fall. When you forget, you will be tempted. When you forget Allah, your nafs will remember you. When you forget Allah, shaitan will remind you of some sin or some temptation, some feeling that you have. So it begins with ghafla, it ends in sin. Let me show you how 99% of us have just lived this experience. What happened to us after Ramadan? Did you immediately go to sin? No way. But you immediately went into ghafla. If a person says that I felt that the effect of Ramadan was gone by 15th of Shawwal. Why? Because you did a lot of sins from 1 to 15th Shawwal? No. But because you returned to your ghafla between 1 to 15th Shawwal. That's 15th Shawwal, you found yourself back right where you were. Ghafla is so strong that it can erase the effect of all of Ramadan. Ghafla is so strong that it erased all the taraweeh. Not it's Ajr Swab, it's still in your book of deeds, but you were transformed, you were uplifted. It rolled you back to the person who's not so interested in coming to the masjid anymore. It rolled you back to the type of person who doesn't really recite Quran that much. It rolled you back to the type of person who doesn't really make dua that much. If just two weeks of shawal rolled you back, what was it in those two weeks? It was ghafla. Ghafla. Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, Who are the believers? That they stay, they spurn, they turn away. They make a 180 degree paradigm shift away from what? Law. What is law? Law and ghafla means absolutely halal but pointless activity. 100% halal, jais, mufti, certified, pointless entertainment. That's called ghafla and that's called law. I don't know what it's called here, but the Halal Certifying Authority. Hmm? You can get Mufti Abdullah Nana, is a friend of mine, certificate. Huh? That is Halal and it's Jais, but it's Ghafla. That's called Ghafla. So it's not sin. It's a waste of your time. It might mean watching soccer for three hours. I'm going intense on you, right? I'm warning you. I'm about to go a little intense on you. Hmm? Watching soccer for three hours. 
If you were in Pakistan and said watching cricket for six hours, hmm? Huh? Surfing, oh, automotive websites, reading random novels, overindulging in news. There's a certain extent to which you need news, and there's a certain extent where it's israf. There's israf in everything. There's excess. There's excess in anything and everything that you do. Might be oversleeping, that can be ghafla and low. Might be overeating, that can be ghafla and low. Might be excessive conversation with people. Now, I'm not saying you can eliminate all of these things. I'm not even saying reduce all of these things. I would just suggest reduce some of these things and see. It's just an experiment. Just do an experiment. Maybe you think I'm too hardcore. You try this. I'm just making a claim. It might be, just might, except it at the level of possibility, uncertainty. It might be that by reducing some of these things, by reducing, not eliminating, some, not all, by reducing some of these things, I'll go even more, reducing some of these things gradually, you might feel closer to Allah on your ibadah. Why not try it? Why not give it a try shot? What's the harm in trying it? You can always go back to it, right? It's not like it's going to go away. All the websites and TV and novels, it's all there waiting for you to return to it. Try leaving it and see if it ha what happens. Or not. Or then we're not that serious about our deen. MashaAllah, when people are physically ill, they're willing to try different things. They go to a second doctor. They go for a third opinion. I met, I knew a woman. She was a family member. She's passed away now. She was in her 70s. She had cancer. She was willing to, and, and, and you know, there, she wasn't able to be cured through the different things, the chemotherapy and the radio, different things, right? So then there was some experimental drug, some experimental therapy. And you know, you have to sign like all this stuff, whatever, it's basically like, you know, I waive all my legal rights now and forever, and you know, she's willing to do that. Just on the chance that perhaps she may be cured. And if you're already in your 70s, how many more years could you really live, right? But a person is willing to go that far to that extent and spend half of their life savings also in order to get cured at, in their 70s from an illness. So how far should you be willing to go? How far should I be willing to go to be cured of a spiritual illness? How far should we be willing to go? Hmm? Should be at least equal as we say we're balanced because American Muslims love the slogan that we're balanced between deen and dunya. Hmm? Allahu Akbar. Always understand balance does not mean midpoint. Balance in, in deen doesn't mean I'm 50% Abu Bakr and 50% Abu Jahl. That's not balance. All right? That's what they mean. I once had a young man, he told me, literally told me, that my mother, he, uh, his mother, he said about his mother, his mother was so worried that he was becoming religious, she literally said to him, Beta, kabhi kabhi tu guna kar lo. She literally said this verse to him, that my son, sometimes do some little sin, because you're going to, you're going to religious. Allah Akbar. Ji, ya Allah, where were those mothers who would cry so that their children would be pious? Where were those mothers who would send their children for deen? And what in the world is a mother who is telling her son that please do some sin at least a little bit? Hmm? You know why this sense of balance and moderation is false in our deen? Because akhir is extreme. There are two things in akhir. It's either jahannam or jannah. These two are extremes. Extremes. Jahannam is not moderately warm. Jahannam, the punishment, is not moderately tough. It's extreme. Jannat, alhamdulillah, is not a moderately, inshallah, not a moderately nice place. You won't be kind of happy. You won't get moderate reward. 
It's extreme. So me and you have been created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to live for all of eternity. To live for all of eternity in one of two extremes. And you've got 60, 70, 80 years of your adult mature life in this world. Hmm? What do you think? You want to lead a 50-50 life? Hmm? Doesn't make any sense, right? Deen is intense. Deen is passionate. That's one thing that really has to be there. Whether it's Pakistan or America or Indonesia or Morocco or UK or South Africa, it doesn't make a difference. Deen is deen. That's what we believe. When you make the claim that Islam is the last and final religion, Sayyidina Rasulullah is the last and final prophet, all right, Quran al is the last and final scripture. What you're saying is that Islam is a timeless, eternal truth. It's unchanging, it's timeless. Okay, so I was telling you about balance. Uh, so balance actually means that you should excel in deen at least as much as you excel in dunya. That's balance. So what I was telling you people in Jummah, that if you're lazy in dunya, Okay, you have mediocrity in dunya. I mean, you're not a doctor, you're not a successful businessman, you're not an engineer. You have mediocrity in dunya. You're lazy in dunya, you procrastinate in dunya, you stumble in dunya, you fumble in dunya, you fail in dunya. Okay, I can see you doing that in deen. But what you want to tell me that no, 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 you're highly accomplished in the world, you're highly educated, you're a great professional, you're a wonderful citizen, you're a great neighbor, you're a great member of community. And along with that, you're struggling in deen, you're struggling with fajr, you're struggling to lower your gaze, you sometimes miss fard salah, you sometimes tell a lie, you sometimes have envy, you sometimes have pride, you have lack of akhlaq and adab. So you have excellence in dunya and mediocrity in deen. That's not balance, that's imbalance. That's severe, gross imbalance. And yes, it's true the other way around. You have excellence in deen and you you know, wrong people in this world, you betray people in this world, you lie in business, you cheat people. That's also severe imbalance. That's also severe imbalance. Here, a person's nafs is inside them. So there's one part of deen that is called islah nafs tazkiyatun nafs Now that is a whole world of teaching of our deen. And there's some very hard and fast set things in those teachings, which are laid out clearly in the Quran and Sunnah. And there are some different ways of doing this Islam, this nafs. And there were some people who were masters at this, they were called mashaykh. What? Who were those people? They were people who ha spent their whole life fighting their nafs and helping others fight their nafs. And their value only lies in that. The day they stop fighting their own nafs, or the day they stop helping others fight their nafs, there's no value in that anymore. There's no value in that anymore. Right? But there are people like that. There are ulama who understand these things. There were some muhaddithin who specialized in this. They used to have compilations called Kitab al-Zuhud. This was their great figure. Hmm? That I want to gather the hadith that bring a person to a simple, pure life that is free of sin. And they actually did research in thousands and thousands of hadith and they made compilations and they called them Kitab al-Zuhud. This is from the time of the Tabai Tabin, from the time of the Salaf Salih. Allahu Akbar Kabira, there used to be a time when there were ulama who were focused on this. Hmm? So this is something you have to find your way. You have to find a way. You have to find any way 
which is in accordance with Sharia, and you have to wage this battle within against your nafs. And it's a long haul. It's a lifelong effort. It's a lifelong struggle. We have been sent to this earth and Allah Ta'ala placed enough inside of us precisely to wage the struggle. This is the meaning of Alhamaha Fajuraha wa Taqwaha. That you will spend your life doing Mukhalifatun Nafs, Mujahadatun Nafs. Mukhalifatun Nafs, Mujahadatun Nafs. It's in you. Ilham Allah Ta'ala has placed it deeply embedded in you. And you will do this your whole life. It's part of life. And if you deny that and you don't realize that, you're not aware of that, you don't even know there's something in deen called tazkiyatun nafs, islam nafs, then you are failing to be guided by the guidance. Here hmm? we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, help me and you and all of us because I've been struggling with this for 20, yeah, I suppose, yeah, 25 years, right? I began my journey in Chicago in some ways. Uh, Allah knows where we will, and will enter with our mouth whenever that takes place. And it never ends. It never stops. Never. No, you people can call you Alam Sheikh, Mufti Hazrat, it never stops. And then just imagine. Hmm? Never stops. Never stops. Hmm? But if you know that, and I think a lot of you would have seen this in your life. When you understand something about life, when you understand this the way life is, pretty much you're set now. You can now navigate life when you realize that this is the nature of life. Once you realize that you have a nafs, and Allah Ta'ala wants you to fight that nafs, and there's guidance in deen how to fight that nafs, there's people who can help you at deen and nasiha to fight that nafs, and you will spend your whole life doing it, just understanding that is like they say, knowing is half the battle. Hmm? May Allah Ta'ala accept it from us. Isha Salah is that? 9.30 Isha. So then we all make dua. We'll pray Isha. If anybody wants to ask questions, they can do it after Isha. Inshallah. Subhanallah minana Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala sinuna Muhammad. Wa ala ala sinuna Muhammad. Wa barik wa sallim. Rabbana dhanamna anfusana wa illam takfir lana wa tadhamna nanakunanna mana khawsideen. Rabbi gfir warhamma anta khairul rahimeen. Ya Allah, send your rahman, mercy on us. Send your maghfir, forgiveness on us. Send your hidayah, your guidance on us. Send your karam, fazl, generous grace upon us. Ya Rabbi we are unworthy, make us worthy, Ya Rabb. We lack haya, graces with haya, Ya Rabb. We have fallen in our adab, akhlaq, Ya make us noble, Ya Rabb. Grant us the batani akhlaq of Nabi Akrim, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Grant us the zahri sifat of Nabi Akrim, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Let us be his ummati, let us follow a drop in his shadow. Let us model our lives and ourselves after him. Ya Rabbi protect us from following every other path. Protect us from following any other model. Protect us from following any other temperament other than the temperament of your deen temperament of Quran al-Kareem the temperament of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Nabi Kareem we ask your forgiveness Ya Rabb forgive us for all the sins that we ever did forgive us for the sins that we did to our nafs forgive us the sins that we did due to shaitan forgive us for the sins that we did when alone forgive us for the sins that we did amongst others forgive us Ya Rabb for the sins we did against you forgive us for the hurt and harm and heartache we caused others Nabi Kareem forgive us for 
all of your hukuk. Forgive us for hukuk al ibad. Make us true, Ya Rabb. Make us honest, Ya Rabb. Make us pious, Ya Rabb. Make us virtuous, Ya Rabb. Ya Rabbi Kareem, forgive us for all the salah that we ever missed. Forgive us for all the recitation of Quran that we skipped. Forgive us for all the sunnah du'as that we omitted. Forgive us for all the moments of truth in which we lied. Forgive us for all the relationships of loyalty which we betrayed. Ya Rabbi Kareem, you are a sattar. Ya Allah, as perfectly as you have concealed our sins, you are also ghafar. We ask that you perfectly forgive our sins. Ya Rabbi Kareem, you are Rahman. We ask that you perfectly send your mercy on us. Bring us close to you again. Remove the distance that has come between us due to our sins. Ya Rabbi Kareem, that same love that you cast upon us in Yawm Alast and you selected us for Iman. Ya Rabbi Kareem, cast that same gaze of love on us on this night and select us for the attributes of Iman, the feelings of Iman, the haqiqat of Iman, the amal of Iman, the sifat of Iman, the akhlaq of Iman, the adat of Iman. Ya Rabbi Kareem, in Quran al-Kareem, every place you called upon us with Ya Ayyuhalladhi Na'amanu. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we say Labbaik to that call. Give us tawfiq, Ya Rabb. Give us hidayah, Ya Rabb, to do amal on every one of your commands, to hearken to every one of your commands, to answer every one of your call, to follow every sunnah of Nabi Akrim, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ya Rabb, we make tawbah, Ya Rabb. We ask us, Ya Rabb, that you accept our tawbah on this night. We wish and we want and we want to try, Ya Rabbi Kareem, to leave anything that connects us to sin, anything that reminds us to sin. Help us, Ya Rabbi, be true to this niyyah. Help us follow up and follow through on this niyyah. Make us strong on deen, firm on deen, steadfast on deen, grant us istiqamat on deen. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Rabbi, ask that you make us passionate about deen. Put in our heart a craze for deen. Put in our heart a desire for deen. Put in our heart an addiction for ibadah, addiction for Quran, addiction for dua, addiction for salah, addiction for sirah, addiction for ilm, addiction for khidmah, addiction for dawah, addiction for akhlaq, addiction for adab, and you have dis remove from us all of the unlawful addictions. Rescue us, Ya Rabb, from the unlawful temptations. Ya Rabbi Kareem, grant us a nafs mutminna, Ya Rabb. Let us use all of the willpower of our nafs, all the power of our nafs, to strive to earn your pleasure, Ya Rabbi Kareem, to seek to earn your pleasure, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Rabbi, make dua for all of the Muslims of the Chicagoland area. Ya Rabbi Kareem, send your rahmah on us, your nur on us. Put barakah in our time, barakah in our homes, barakah in our riz, Barakah in our health, barakah in our relationships. Ya Rabbi Kareem, put barakah in our deen, Ya Rabbi Kareem. And I'll be making special dua for all of the ulama and shayukh, all of the darlulums, all of the masajid. Ya Rabbi Kareem, raise these institutions, grace these institutions, protect these institutions, expand these institutions. Ya Rabbi Kareem, make them factories of muttaqeen, factories of mukhlisin. Raise from this community, Ya Rabbi, the mufassireen of this ummah. Raise from them, Ya Rabbi, the muhaddi the theme of this ummah. Raise from them, Ya Rabb, the awliya of this ummah. Protect us from every fitna, Ya Rabb. Protect us from all the fitnas within and all the fitnas without. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we make dua for the whole ummah, Ya Rabb. Accept the hajj of the hujaj that is coming. Accept all the duas that they will make. Ya Rabbi, send them back to their communities as beacons of nur and guidance, Ya Rabbi Kareem. And those of us are unable to go this year, Ya Rabbi Kareem, give us tawfiq, Ya Rabb, in future to visit Haramain Sharifain, to to seek your 
forgiveness on Arafah. Yet we are unable to go this year, but it is our wish, Yara, that we stand in Arafah and we make tawbah to you, that we get that special rahmah that you bestow upon the hujjaj. Yara, you are Rahman Rahim. Bestow your rahmah upon us on this night. Accept your dua upon this night. Grant us the taqwa of the nafs, the taqwa of the heart, the taqwa of the eye, the taqwa of the mind. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Rabbi, I said you accept all the duas of all those who are present and listening. Remove our difficulties, ease our worries, fulfill our needs, grant us our deen. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Rabbana takambal minna innaka anta sami'ul alim. Wa tumbalayna innaka anta tawabul rahim. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Birahmatika ya arhamarrahimim. Oh.
الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله Straighten the lines, stand shoulder to shoulder. Look 
كم أهلكنا من القرون من بعد نوح وكفى بربك بذنوب عباده خبيرا بصيرا الله سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين انعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين من كان يريد العاجل تعجل
فلا تقل لهما أف ولا تنهرهما وقل لهما قولا كريما واخفض لهما جناح الذل من الرحمة وقل رب ارحمهما كما ربياني صيرا الله سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر 
السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله Jazakallah khair to all the brothers and sisters, mashallah, who came from near and far for the seminar. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us to overcome our nafs, inshallah, in shaitan, and win this battle that we are all engaged in, as the Shaykh very beautifully elucidated in the talk. May Allah ta'ala give us tawfiq to make amal on those words of wisdom. And a few announcements, inshallah, here at Dar Salaam. We have a weekend Islamic studies program. This is not just a monthly seminar that we attend, but rather we have weekend programs every Saturday and Sunday for adults. And in this particular semester, we actually have an entire a course on Tazkiyah. And we're going through the book of Arba'in Fi Suluddin of Imam Ghazali, alayhi. So I would like to bring it to the attention of those who are visiting and may not be aware of this program. Please avail of it, inshallah, benefit from the ulama who are teaching the courses on Saturdays and Sundays. You may register for that. We also have started a new class for the maktab children on Saturdays and Sundays. And uh, there are a number of announcements that I will not go through all of them. I'll just mention one last one, a new one, that on this Monday we have the solar eclipse. And the sunnah of Rasulullah was to perform in a particular type of ibadah, salatul kusuf, in the masjid with the sahaba radiallahu anhum. He performed salah in jama'ah and he made a very long prayer and he made a very long dua. So reviving the sunnah, which is a very rare occasion for us. Um, last time we had a c- complete solar eclipse in America was about 100 years ago. So that is why, inshallah, we should take this opportunity on Monday, this coming Monday, at 1 o'clock, right after the zawal time, we will ha- begin the salah. And uh, till dhuhr and after dhuhr, we will have the dua. So please join in this uh, opportunity to revive this uh, sunnah, which is very, a very rare occasion for us. Jazakumullah khairan.